First time. You know your heart. Someday, somewhere, I'll make a difference. It's a mockery. I mean, we're not some some deep space franchise. This station is about something. The year is 2023. The name of the podcast, Babylon 5, for the first time. Welcome to Babylon 5 for the first time. My name is Jeff Aiken, and I am watching Babylon 5 for the first time. And I'm Brent Allen, and I'm also watching Babylon 5 for the first time. Jeff and I are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching this show for the first time. And in it, we're searching out for those little messages of hope. We're looking for those uh, we're looking for that mirror to society. We're trying to see if things can be better in the future and how do we get there? And we're also trying to decide, is this really a good series? And while this is not a podcast about star Trek, we are sure to start pulling in those references, maybe especially in this episode because of a specific guest star, maybe, but honestly, how could we not pull those references in? But to help us with that, we play the rule of three, meaning that each of us get no more, then three references to Star Trek per episode. That's it. Three. One of those three. No substitutions, exchanges, or refunds. <laughs> hey, Brent. Yeah, Jeff, what's up? We've got a five-star review. Oh, yes. This one's from Apple Podcasts. It's Caravay1. And Caravay1 says, as others said, great podcast about a great show. I've been following a DS9 rebinge podcast for the past few months, and as I caught up to current episodes, I needed to find something new. I went looking for something B5, and I couldn't have done better. As an old Star Trek fan and a B5 fan, this is a real kick. Well-produced and entertaining. I know B5 like the back of my hand, but following these two through their own journey of discovery is almost as good as watching it for the first time again myself. Jeff, I would say based on that uh, review, we are accomplishing our mission. Agreed. You know, yes. like that's what we set out to do is to help people kind of relive their first time watch through, uh, through us vicariously through us. Right. And uh, there's a, there's a $20 word for you, <laughs> you know, um, and to, and to enjoy it. And, you know, especially for our, our uh, like-minded Trek fans out there uh, to come over and enjoy this show as well. And I'm glad that you enjoy our production value on this show because Jeff and I try really hard. We do. We do. We take it very seriously. Yes. One of my favorite things ever when we get feedback from people in the community is when people share that. Like, hey, I've watched this forever, but I feel like I'm watching it for the first time again. Or I think maybe my bigger favorite is I've never thought of that episode that way before. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, sweet. I love that. Well, Brent, I've got one more, and it is another five-star review. Oh, yes. Also on Apple Podcasts, JT says, the podcast I never knew I needed. I watched Babylon 5 around when it first came out and kind of just left it where it was. I love Jeff and Brent's Star Trek podcasts. Thank you, JT. So I finally decided to check this out, and I love it. They are awesome together. It's so fun to hear people that know how to break down a TV show and not just shoot the breeze about it. Jeff, I like to shoot in the breeze, though. I know. It's one of the most fun things we do. If, if, you're, if you're watching on YouTube, you know sometimes we spend a good chunk of time before and after just shooting the breeze. That's right. That's right. You know, what's really funny of that is, is uh, sometimes we get people that email in and they're like, you guys get too serious about this show. Like, just enjoy the show, which is like the opposite of what this guy's saying. Like, no, we're breaking down the show. Like, that's literally what we signed up to do with this show. Like, like, just relax, man. I'm like, yeah, great. Except I have to podcast about it in this method because that's this show. Not every show is set up like this show. That's how this show is set up. There are some great Babylon 5 podcasts out there of a bunch of people sitting around shooting the breeze about the show. And they're great. That's yeah. awesome. And some of them are getting drunk while they're doing it, which is... Yeah. If that's your thing, go for it, man. That's a that's a cool cool way to do it. Others aren't, you know. Some have 15 people there, some have one. Take your pick. It's all there, out there. Yeah, there's just and, and that's and and I I realize saying that now that kind of sounds like that might be a shot at some of the other shows out there. 
Jeff and I are friends with all of them that we know. And if we don't know them, we would be friends with them if we knew them. Uh, like they're great. They're good shows. It's different yeah. flavors for different folks. And this is ours. So I'm glad that they enjoy our show. I had the distinct honor and pleasure of being a guest on one of those before the gray 17 podcast. Mm -hmm. And he screwed it up and never is getting invited to any other Babylon five show ever again. I never will because I did what I do and I stood up for TKO, (laughs) but still it's a great show. It's different. It's very different than ours. And that's the thing. There's different flavors. This is a great time to enjoy Babylon five period, but also to want to listen to podcasts about it. You've got a lot of great options. I don't think there's a single one of us out there that are telling you to not listen to anybody else. But I think to Brent's point, we bring a very unique lens to this show and we do it very intentionally. And hopefully that's what you enjoy about us. So Jeff, speaking about enjoying things, you know what I think one of the things our listeners enjoy about the show is all the games. They love our games. Yeah, we have a, one of those games is one where we get to the end of the show and we try to predict what next week's episode is going to be based on title alone. And Jeff, I have to tell you, I am floored at how many times we hear from people out there in the community who say one of my favorite things about the show is when you try to predict next week's episode. Because when we first started doing it, people were like, yeah, don't do that because you're wrong. <laughs> you know but very wrong the people out there seem to like it and you and i get a kick out of it too mostly because of this part right here which is where we look back at what we said this episode was going to be last week before we had actually watched it and now um it's come to jesus time where we decide how close were you so jeff do you remember what you said this episode message uh messages from earth was supposed to be about I do. And as a fun note, for people that are listening to us on the audio podcast or those of you watching us on YouTube who are not subscribed, you need to go subscribe to us on YouTube, period. We have a little, there's a, there's a part of us where we chat in YouTube. I forget what it's called, but like we go and we put messages and sometimes we've got different things in there, but the community just page. about every week, the community page is what it's called. I don't know. I don't know this stuff, <laughs> but we take a, a clip of the video where of the predictions and we put it there so if you just want to check that or remember or you're like what did they think this was going to be go to youtube go to our community page and you'll be able to see them and when you do that you'll see that uh i thought this was going to be an episode of voyager and <laughs> that uh this is me referencing what i did last week so it doesn't count as a reference but that's what i thought at first but no i i i got for 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 jeff aiken I swung pretty close on this one. I thought that the President Clark investigation was going to come to a head, which eh, moved forward yeah. a good chunk in this yeah. one. Um, I thought we were going to see Psychor, Ministry of Peace, and Nightwatch hard at work. And we we got some Psychor stuff in this one. Got some heavy heavy Nightwatch stuff. But where I missed the mark entirely is I thought they were going to station a full Ministry of Peace contingent onto Babylon 5. Didn't they, though? I mean, isn't that kind of what's going on with the security team with Nightwatch? Well, they're just Nightwatch. I mean, like full yeah. Wells, full Julie Masante, Ministry of Peace, EarthGov employee here to here to go. I still still think that we might see some of that here in the future, but uh, I agree. Yeah, I'm gonna call mine a gonna call mine maybe a single. Got a, I got a single out of this this swing on this one. How about you? How how close did you? Well, get? um, I I said uh, that Chicky. What was her name? I keep calling Julie Masante. Julie Masante from a couple episodes ago. Back in that episode, she made some threats that they were going to replace the leaders on Babylon 5. And I said that this is the episode where that comes up. And Sheridan was going to get recalled from his command. And this is going to be the catalyst for a prediction that I've been holding on to since the end of season two, which is that Babylon 5 is going to break away from EarthGov. And this was going to be the catalyst to, to send us there. I think it's entirely possible, given what happens at the end of this episode, that this is the catalyst that sends us to Babylon 5 breaking away from EarthGov. Also, while it may not have been that that they have they have replaced, the new Nightwatch commander basically said, hey, we're still doing this. So they didn't do it, but they said they're still going to do it. And by the way, if anyone ever finds out that Sheridan is the one who did what he did, oh, he's absolutely getting recalled, although that didn't happen. So... I'll, I'll give myself uh, uh I hit a double, but then I went for third and I got tagged out. I think is pretty much what happened. So <laughs> that sounds about yeah. right. 
Sounds about right. Well, for those of you where it might have been a while since you've watched this one, if you haven't watched it all and you're just listening along, or if you just listen to us say how close we got to the predictions and you have no idea what we're even talking about, Brent, why don't you tell us about messages from Earth? Well, the news coming out of Earth isn't so pleasant. More and more people are taking President Clark to task over his involvement in the death of President Santiago. And there's a new race a.k.a. the shadows, that are becoming more and more public knowledge. Thanks to an old friend of Garibaldi's from Mars, who may also somehow be connected to Sheridan's wife, we'll get into that in a little bit, we learn that despite their assertions of ignorance, EarthGov actually found one of these ships many years ago buried on Mars. So they know exactly what these ships are, and rather than going out trying to find out what they are, They're actually trying to track down who else knows what they are so they can pretty much silence them. We also learned that the shadow ships are pretty much just like that machine down on Epsilon 3, uh, where it's one big machine and then somebody plugs into the heart of it and they become the brain and the battery and and they basically meld together and become one. And, oh, apparently these ships aren't made, they're born. Well, it turns out that Dr. Kirkish, that's Garibaldi's friend, also reveals that EarthGov has found another one of these ships on Ganymede, which for those of you non-astrologists out there, that is the largest moon of Jupiter, so still pretty close to Earth. And uh, this time, Earth has no intentions of letting this one go like they did the last one. And if Earth or Psychor actually got their hands on one of these ships, that would be bad news. Bad, bad, bad news. So Sheridan devises a plan to take the White Star into Earth space and destroy this ship before EarthGov or PsyCorp can get their hands on it. When they arrive, they're just a little too late, as Earth has just fed a living being into the ship to merge with it. The shadow ship activates, but since merging was handled incorrectly, the ship just starts going all crazy and erratic. Sheridan winds up drawing the ship down into the atmosphere of Jupiter where it gets crushed, but just before he can emerge and jump gate home, he's stopped by the Agamemnon. Sheridan refuses to fire back on her because she's an Earth ship. And, oh, yeah, she's actually the ship that Sheridan was commanding when we first met him. So he finds a way to complete the first atmospheric jump gate warp thing. And as we find out later on, after they're safely back home on Babylon 5, after this whole situation went down, the Agamemnon destroyed the shadow ship's base. And I suspect whatever may have been left in the atmosphere of the shadow ship as well. Now, while Sheridan was away doing all of that back at the station, things are starting to get really out of hand with the Ministry of Peace and the Night Watch. A new guy has emerged as the new leader on the station. It seems like we get a new one of these every single week, but this guy just, Jeff, he seems really familiar. I, I just, I'm trying to place him. It's like we've seen him once or twice or maybe literally a dozen times before. Basically, they're ratcheting up their surveillance of everyone including the high-ranking officials and personalities throughout the Earth Alliance. While most of the security officers involved with this seem okay, because after all, if you're on Nightwatch, you're automatically presumed innocent, Zach clearly is not okay with it, and he's left staring disgustingly down at the black armband he's been wearing for the last half of a season. On a lighter note, Marcus Cole and Susan Ivanova's ship seems to be setting sail. He's sending her breakfast... He's trying to make her laugh with fake org charts. She's sharing her innermost thoughts, like the one that says she's not really sure of where she stands now that they're actively going up against Earth. And just as we fade to black, Sheridan calls over Babcom to tell Ivanova to turn on the news, where we learn that President Clark has just declared martial law. The end. Jeff, what did you think of Messages from Earth? And we're off. Right. Like this episode, I think, took a lot of the threads that have been dangling or developing for a long time and started starting to really pull them together. We've got the shadows on the Centauri border came up again. We've got Jakar, right, taking a step towards becoming a prophet. Mm. We got Nightwatch getting closer to Sheridan and crew. We even have um, Earth trying to partner with and outsmart the shadows. (laughs) That does not seem like a smart thing to do. And we got two relationships that are really starting to to heat up in this one. But honestly, I think 
and this is where I think we might start, I, I might catch a little heat, but, or maybe people agree with me on this one, but can we just call this episode what it really is? And it's part one of like a two-parter or so. I mean, well, two-parter, maybe three, maybe four. I, I don't know, but it, this definitely feels like, uh, this episode feels, it felt complete. There was a beginning, a middle, and an end, Yeah, but it didn't feel complete. I remember our, our our discussion in Chrysalis where we said this took a lot of the stuff that happened in season one, kind of pulled the threads together, and then uh-huh. set us up for where we were going next. And I feel that's what this episode did. This is like the season one finale in the f- end of the first third of the third se- season, right? You know, wrap up the threads, and now now we're ready to get going. And I think, like to me, some pre- I, a couple little predictions that like this is where this is where season three starts running from and i think that when we ask when people ask hey when when does babylon 5 really pick up and get going Mm -hmm. the answer is either the long twilight struggle or this episode like i i and i I think it's this one this season's been great but it's definitely been a relaxation after long twilight struggle in the fall of night and so uh i but yeah i think i think i mean I enjoyed this episode. I've got thoughts on, on pieces of it, but I think, I think we have a long time until we're going to get like a slow exogenesis kind of episode again. Yeah. Exogenesis, uh, which was our episode last week, right? That was last week. Mm-hmm. That one, that one almost kind of felt like a calm before the storm. Like, I mean, honestly, these last couple of episodes, but maybe, maybe this first seven episodes of season three altogether kind of have felt like calm before the storm. And now, like the clouds have gathered and they're starting to bust loose. That's what it feels like. We are where we are in the life of this show, right? Like the, the stakes in this one are at an entirely new level yeah. in, I mean, dude, Sheridan was one word fire away from like unloading on earth and literally attacking earth on the Agamemnon. There's martial law on earth now. I mean, like, we thought the stakes were high before they ratcheted up big time in this episode, but I think we're this episode was to raise the stakes. We're not going to feel the impacts from them at least, at least until next week. Like we have at least a week until we start feeling stuff from it. What did you, what were your uh, reactions to this one? Stand by. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your Babylon 5 for the first time experience to the next level? With our exclusive Patreon, you'll get access to all kinds of cool stuff that you can only find there. Our recording notes, unedited reaction videos, an exclusive Discord community. And you can even be listed as a producer of the show. Plus, we even offer exclusive meet and greets and hangouts. You won't find this kind of experience anywhere else. Get all these amazing benefits, plus the opportunity to interact with other fans from around the world. It's being part of a huge community where everyone shares the same appreciation for Babylon 5. Subscribe at patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. That's the number five in the word first to get access to these incredible benefits. That's patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. We can't wait to see you there. I enjoyed this episode. I this is going to feel like I I didn't enjoy this episode. There just really wasn't much to this episode. You know like like sometimes we get an episode that you go, "Oh my gosh, how did they fit all of that in just side of 45 minutes? So much happened." And this episode it really didn't. Like even just in the recap, like, "Okay, so they've got a shadow ship. We got a little we got we got a lot of information on the shadows." And in kind of how they work, or at least with their ships, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's just, hey, turns out there's another one out there. Okay, let's go destroy it. And in this in Star Trek world specifically, and I'm gonna pull on my my podcasting uh chops from Star Trek. When you do a recap of Star Trek, when you look how a Star Trek episode is broken down, almost always act five is the pew 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 act. Not a lot, like it's a lot of action, 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 action. All of the talking came before it. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And act five is just a, okay, go. And they just make it happen. And and then we have the wrap up, you know, in the last two minutes of the the episode. 
three fourths of this episode felt like an act five to me. Okay. The whole thing was Sheridan and the white star and, and going to earth and, and, or to Jupiter and, uh, destroying the, the ship and going down into the atmosphere and finding the jump gate. And oh my gosh, there's the Agamemnon. That's all act five. Like there's just action, 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 action. It was incredibly entertaining, but there wasn't much that, that, that had happened there. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does make like, even on my notes on that white star, it's like they, they jump into hyperspace and then they pull a shadow into the gravity well and jump gate away. Yeah. Like that's really, I mean, there's, there's filler and there, and I think too, and also, but this, this was an effects heavy episode. Like the visuals we got in this were great, you know, Kirkish given her story and we, it wasn't at first, at first, oh man, when she started telling her story at first, I'm like, oh, are are they just going to sit and tell us? Are we going to get five minutes of dialogue of them just feeding us everything? Oh no. Oh, we're getting cutaways. We're getting visuals and they're good looking visuals too. Do you, do like, you remember when it would have just been five minutes of exposition? Yeah. And yeah. Oh yeah. That was, that was one of my biggest beefs in, in a big chunk of the second season. Oh. It was like, Hey, here's these big plot dumps and we're just going to put words in a, in a character's mouth to do them. It's Oh, now we got great visuals, but those visuals took time. Yeah. And I think even there, like the, the second time I watched this, I noticed that when, Kirkish was headed into the war council meeting to tell her story. They did the marching drum snares thing again, like they did for Ivanova last week when she slapped the roses at, at Marcus, yeah. but they did it over Garibaldi's kind of voiceover of like why she matters and why this matters. It was this big cinematic moment that was maybe 20 seconds of content that they stretched out to almost like a full minute. And like, it was very stretched out for time and dramatic impact, of course, but there's a lot of that. Jeff, I, I think that's probably a good way to describe what I'm trying to say is that a lot of this episode felt like maybe 25 minutes worth of story that they stretched over 45 minutes. And that's not to say I wasn't entertained. It's not to say that I didn't like it. They just, they, they pulled it out and it was good. I like I I want to get that across. I please I know I can see you guys down in the comments. Oh, but I, I'm with you. It was just I mean they jumped in, they pulled the ship into the gravity well, and then they couldn't go out to jump gate, so they jump gated right there. Like yeah, dude, yeah. But that took two thirds of the episode. Yeah, and it was exciting and it was fun, and I yeah. think that Babylon Five needs episodes like this that are action, you know, and stuff going on. It was good. Every sci-fi show needs this. Every sci-fi show needs shows like this. So it brings you in. But when, just to kind of precursor as we go to talk about things, when we hit on plot points and we don't have a lot to talk about, it's because there was a lot of visual action stuff happening in this episode. And that's fine. It's a good thing. Okay. You mentioned Dr. Kirkish a couple of weeks ago, Matt, Jeff, whatever the hell your name is. Dude, Dude. buddy. Other podcast host. A couple of weeks ago, Jeff, I posited a new theory about the whole Babylon five versus star Trek thing where I said it was the nineties. Like it it was like the East coast, West coast, Tupac, Biggie, star Trek, Babylon five. And it's a lot of pot shots that the two are taking back and forth doc. And I'm trying to figure it out. I really want Dr. Kirkish to be a shot at star Trek. And I don't know how it is, but I really want Dr. Kirkish. She didn't seem so Kirkish to me. She didn't. I thought the same thing. I, I even the second time through, I'm like, I'm looking for it. I'm like, where's, where's the whatever. And there, there, I, I didn't get it until I wrote her name down. And I was like, Oh, this is Kirk ish. So she's Kirk ish. Like, but I mean, Dr. Kirkish was kind of cool, yeah. you know, like she was, I mean, I, I didn't have any problems with her and I didn't think she was over the top about anything. Uh, you know, it might've been really funny if she was talking in, just three words at a time <laughs> and they called her Dr. Kirkish. Right? No, my, my exact note that I have on her is Kirkish is an effing hero. Yeah. I mean, she, she knows like she, when she finished talking, she's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go die. Like they're going to find me and they're going to kill me now, but it's, but it's okay. Cause I had to tell you this. And then Delenn's like, Nope, we got you sister. We're going to get you on a plane. We're going to get you over here to Minbar. It's going to be good. But I mean, man, everything from Marcus springing her out to her walking in triumphant and laying it down. Kirkish is, is 
awesome. Yeah. She, I mean, she did what she needed to do. I got to, I got to tell you though, Jeff, once again, you're not going to, you're not going to understand this. It drove me up a wall trying to figure out who this actress was because she looks just like Dr. Sam Carter played by Amanda tapping. Only she was too old to be Amanda tapping at this age. Like, now, do you know who Amanda tapping is? I don't, you, I don't think so. You will meet her in our next podcast. Uh, okay. You, okay. she is, she's great. You're going to love her, but that's who I seriously thought this was. No, no, no. This was the actress. I, I had to look it up. Uh, the, the place where I think most people would know her from is she was on Matlock for a whole bunch of years. If oh. you ever watched Matlock back in the late eighties, you know, yeah, I wasn't 60 in the eighties, so I didn't watch. Oh, dude, oh, oh, you know, okay. So fair enough. Shots fired. I, shots. Fired. Well, I lived with my grandparents at that age. And so I watched a lot of Matlock and Matlock was great, man. You, you can't, that's fair. He had a Fred Flintstone wardrobe, man. It was the same suit every day and it was good stuff. Good stuff. I do. I want to thank you in your recap of pointing out that for those of us who aren't astronomers, uh, because today when I watch this episode, I learned that Ganymede is a moon of Jupiter (laughs) and it's the largest moon. Like it's not just any moon. It's the largest moon. So, yeah. Yeah, my whole thought was like, oh, where is this? Are we going to go to some new part of so- Oh, it's right, <laughs> it's right next door. <laughs> she said a thing. I was going to say, Kirkish said a thing, though, that I have a big question on. Because she was talking about how Earth isn't going to give this shadow ship up. They want to take it back. They want to study it. They want to learn how to use it against other species and against humanity if they need to. But then she made the quote, they want us to become more like them. Uh-huh. And I didn't quite understand. I mean, I get it, but I don't know. Like, I'm curious, and I don't think we talking have talking about the shadows. Point, but the shadows want us to become more like them. No, I think she said the Earth, like the whatever people on Earth want Earth humanity to become more like the shadows. You mean big badass dominant and can take anybody out like that? Sure. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Merge with merge with technology and this organic tech thing that's out there would make sense. Yeah, that does make a lot more sense. I, I, that's what I would interpret it as being. So my last note on Kirkish is she assumed or estimated that that shadow ship had been mar- buried on Mars for about a thousand years and a thousand years was the last big shadow conflict. Mm-hmm. So why have a shadow parked right in earth's solar system? Like did earth play some sort of a role in that in that conflict, maybe not humanity, yeah. but earth in some way. That's, I think that's one of my big questions. Well, it, it's one. not just one, it's two. There's at least two shadow ships within the earth solar system, other Rocky planets. There's Mercury, uh, Venus, I think is a Rocky planet. Jupiter's a gas Jupiter and, and beyond are gas giants. So you're not going to park anything there unless it's on one of their moons and Jupiter has a crap ton of moons. So there could be more than two in our solar system. Just didn't, didn't, but isn't something that we learned like when, when the first ones and the other people who fought the shadows, didn't they beat them down? And basically they just all went to go to sleep. I think so. And that's where they've been like for the last thousand years. So maybe that's just like a retreat point they went to that they felt was safe. Well, because I mean, think about a thousand years ago with earth. What were we doing? We had nights. Yeah. Like our biggest weapons were catapults. Like that was, that was big time. A trebuchet. Like. Trebuchet, we yeah. even I mean, we had broadswords yeah. and that like, that's what we were fighting with. You know what? If you're a shadow and you're like, Hey, where are we going to go park for a thousand years that nobody's going to bug us? This seems like a good spot. Yeah, let's head over here. We're like these, this no, these ants are living on this planet. Let's go there. My question is, is there only one ship on Mars? I mean, Mars is big enough to have several, you know, I'd- I appreciated too with the Mars piece because here it's been a while since I've been able to reference mass effect, but they found Prothean ruins on Mars and that's what brought earth to the galactic stage. And so I just, I love that Mars is kind of that point, that entry point for other species into, uh, into different realms of sci-fi. Hey, so I have a question. Okay. All right. I want to talk about this, that this is the only note I have on Kirkish. She works for the same company that Sheridan's wife worked for when they found a shadow ship and went out to go look for it. And then they got jacked up with Morden, right? Yeah. So she could have known Sheridan's wife and been, I mean, like could have also known Morden. Cause my understanding is Morden was also an interplanetary expeditions employee. Right. Right. So uh, she first mentioned, I thought, was she one of the people who sent them out there? But I, 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 she's more of just an employee. I think she's one of the people that gets sent. So 
yeah, she's one of the scientists doing her, doing her job. But that is interesting though. Like I didn't think about that, how interplanetary expeditions, cause they were the ones in infection that found the organic tech mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. Then there's the, uh, the ship, um, Anna's ship, the Icarus yep. that, that went out. And, and so for, to, to chase down a shadow thing, and then they're doing the, they're finding the ones on Mars, like interplanetary expeditions is really wrapped in to the earth shadow stuff. They really are. That's maybe they're just the tool, yeah. you know, that they got the equipment or whatever and the know-how. That it is interesting when you when you start collating it that it's it's IPX I think is their their initials. Uh, if not, I'm going to make it up and say that that's it. That they are the ones who keep turning up every time a shadow ship is found mm -hmm. or something of that nature. And we still don't really know what the organic tech was from infection. Yeah, we know one piece. Yeah, it was just this little that thing took over that stuck on his chest and took him over, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't know what the rest of it was. So, uh, and we, I mean, are, are we agreed that the machine that's down there on Epsilon three, that, it, that is, I don't know if that's organic tech or not, but that's the same idea. Cause what we learned about the shadow ships is that there is a person or some sort of a being, it doesn't have to be a person who goes inside this machine and they merge with it and they become one. I mean, that's what draw did, right? Like, like, yeah, that's what we were talking about. I think back in voices of authority, yeah. Was that, yeah voices of authority where like, what is draws job? And is he one of many processors for that? And that's, that's my take on the, the shadow ship. And so maybe that's the key with this. Maybe so like, that's the organic tech thing is there's the tech, but you need the being to be the processor. Maybe that's how like Kosh's ship works. Like Kosh has to be in it because he's the processor for it to go do the stuff. He doesn't need a ship crew because it's him. Mm -hmm. It's all him and his mind and whatever. And he can bring yeah. in whoever he wants. He can bring in Lita Alexander or Sheridan got to go inside the ship, right? Like, I uh, know it was Dr. Socrates. That's right. And like we saw the eye moving around and all that sort of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So. And Dr. Socrates got a little shout out in this episode. Did, did you? No, catch I that? missed yeah. it. Where was it? In the very beginning, when they were, the newscaster was talking about like, Hey, there's all this stuff going on with president Clark and the investigation were, you know, six weeks into the investigation on president Clark and new evidence has surfaced that the disease, the illness that took him off the ship at IO before IO might've been fake and manufactured. And I'm like, that's the stuff. That's what Dr. Socrates was. Smuggling. Oh, is it really? Like, it, oh, yeah. Cool. It's a cool yeah, callback yeah. to Hunter prey. I thought I like okay. that. Okay. I'm yeah. I missed the callback, but I, because like I'm, I'm, I'm so like, it seems so obvious to me that Clark actually had nothing going on. Like I'm so past what actually happened that it just did, you know? So yeah, but for earth, they're still on board. Hey, he's the president. He's a great guy. I want to talk about Marcus for a moment if we could. Okay. Yeah. One, Marcus can fight. Yeah. Dude's hardcore. He can fight. Did you notice that one dude was fighting with nunchucks in the future? Yes. Space Chucks. <laughs> like, what do we call this? Like, dang. They call them Bab Chucks. Bab Chucks. Here, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, I, I joked at one point, like, he's got he's got Bab Chucks, and then he's got the staff. We're going to get, like, the Babylon 5 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's a t-shirt, Jeff. That's a t-shirt. There's Marcus with the staff. There's dude with the nunchucks. Somebody's got a sword. Who's got a sword? Uh, uh, Narn. The Narn, the Narn dude. dude has um, the sword. Yep. Okay. Then what's the other one? Where it's size. We need to decide. Sycor. Anybody with Sycor? They got it. We're done. <laughs> That's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles of Babylon Five. There we go. There they there are. We go. There they are. That's a, you know. It's just it's the silhouette of each one of those characters with their weapon. You know. <laughs> yep. And then turtle power down at the bottom. See, but I, don't, I don't know what you call it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Bab Five. I, I whatever. Something. But I noticed too in that in that just awesome fight scene um, that Marcus was doing the, the actor was doing a lot of his own stunts like a lot yeah. of those it was like he did that move where he ran and jumped off the parkour off the wall and that was him through and through that was really impressive. Uh, I, I'm going to say this: uh, how many? I, I'm only down one, right? Because here comes my second one. Yes. Um, I have to say the fight choreography in Babylon Five, particularly in this episode. But the fight choreography in Babylon 5 is better than any fight choreography I've ever seen in Star Trek. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 
I would agree up until some of the modern stuff, like some of the stuff in discovery when they were doing the Vulcan martial arts and with Michael uh, Burnham was there was that fight yeah. with her and, um, uh, no, it was Giorgio and, uh, the control yeah, guy in the elevator, yeah. the turbo lift. Oh, the, the, the Booker Burnham fight was really good. And and so, okay. Uh, up through Berman era, Star Trek, then this is better go. than there any of that, that Star Trek. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the Marcus stuff. And it was Marcus and Ivanova. Yeah. Stuff in this one. I thought it was, I thought it was good. She's softening, right? She is softening on him. Yeah. Because like when she's sitting there with the bacon and eggs and she's just like, I am going to kill him. I'm like, but it wasn't like literally a week ago. It was like, I'm going to kill him. And this time it was like, I'm going to kill him. Total change. Right. Right. And I mean, you know, he's bringing in the org chart and she's looking at him and she has, she's like, what do you, what do you really want? Like, come on now. Just want to make you laugh. Yeah. Baby. He's like, dude, it was so smooth. He wasn't like, what do you really want? He was like, Oh, what you, what, 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 what love you. He didn't say anything. He just said, I just want to make you laugh. And she just went, okay, cool. Uh, and I loved it too. Cause he's like, I want to make you laugh. And then he got up to go. He wasn't like, I'm going to stay here and see what more. Yeah. I can look. He's like, just want to make you laugh. I'm, I'm out. out. See, have see a, have a good time. one, dude. He, he is playing this just right. Like, yeah. like take note, those are young, young folk out there. Okay. <laughs> you, you push in too much, too hard, too fast. And then you make them run away. You, you give a little bit and then you got to pull back. You got to let them know that it's okay to walk away, that you're okay to walk away. It's just a little bit of the sun. This is, this is, uh, you know, they don't teach the game anymore, Jeff. They don't teach the game. Exactly. You know, in a world full of William Rikers, be a Marcus Cole. That's a t-shirt right there. That's a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but so my, but my criticism of Marcus is I think it was an exogenesis. We talked about how like, he's just out in front of everybody yelling at Garibaldi about my job is to do espionage. Why are you getting in my way? And it's like, dude, chill out. We're trying to keep you quiet here. He does like this big scrapbook style org chart. That's got his mom and dad on it. And it's super fun. I sure as hell hope no one ever gets their hands on that because that could implicate a lot of sure. people, right? <laughs> here, let me hand you evidence that will kill all of us. I've got a criticism of Marcus Cole. He yeah. goes out, he gets this girl that we don't know who she is. Turns out it's Dr. Kirkish brings her in fighting. I mean, guns blazing, right? She gets injured. He takes her to go see Dr. Franklin. And then he leaves her alone with Dr. Franklin. I was like, no, you can't do that. Do you know what he's going to do? She needs a chaperone. She needs an adult with her at all times. Needs to be a chaperone present. Whatever you do, don't let him take her to his quarters. Like best case scenario, he's going to kiss her while she's knocked out. Worst case, he's going to kill her. Don't leave her alone. Uh, at least she just didn't wake up finding that her husband had died. So there's, yeah, I mean, that would have given him the the perfect opportunity. What, what do you, what do you think? Ivanova and Marcus are, is that going to work out or are they going to play this cat and mouse game for a while? I think they're going to play it for a while. There were, I, 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 I love, I love that they're playing it slow uh-huh. and they're letting it kind of build. They're letting Marcus be smooth. They're letting Ivanova slowly warm up to the idea. And the same thing is happening with Sheridan and Delenn. Like when you think about it, they had 72 hours or whatever in hyperspace on the ship with nothing to do, right? Like I think if this was more modern TV, they would have had plenty to do. But instead, like they shared a really warm bonding moment that was pretty beautiful and is just another moment like they're slow playing these relationships in a way that when they do pay off like when the marcus and ivanova one happens you said it last week i think and it's perfect it's going to be ross and rachel right where it's just like yes yes it happened and then we'll be immediately disappointed with everything that comes out of it (laughs) but but with delenn and sheridan like i wasn't warm I, i i was resistant to the idea when they first went to dinner and started seeing it but like they're playing it slow. And now I'm like, yeah, this, this needs to happen. Dude, She I'm literally bored. made it rain for him. Exactly. That was so sweet. And she's like holding his hand. And I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. I don't care what deep meditative state you were in. You cannot sleep at an angle like that. No, that was, that is ridiculous. I loved, I loved everything about Sharon. Just like trying to get comfortable. And she's like, 
I, I'm like, why would you do this to yourself? This is horrible. And he had the flattest pillow and he's trying to sleep on his side. I mean, his, his neck's going to be craned over. Oh, but she made it work for him. She, she literally did the impossible for him just for him to turn around. And for the second time with the shadows, do the impossible. Like he's got to be one of the only men in history, only people in history. He's now responsible for what? Two shadow shit. Hey, listen, they don't call him star killer for nothing. It's done damn straight. Uh, <laughs> Sheridan has a good dad, man. Yeah. He had a good dad. Like that was, that was, that was, um, touching to hear. And I think Bruce Boxleitner's description, like just was so believable. You know, when he's like, he's like, you know, dad's out there holding the garden hose. So it would sound like it rains. And he's like, I believe he would have stood there for days if that's what it took. And like in that moment, like I was just thinking about the mechanics of being an actor on a weekly TV show and how you're handed a script and you're given 14 minutes to get your stuff down. But like, he was still able to take that moment and punch you in the gut with it. You and know? He sold, I mean, he sold every bit of that. Cause I'm sitting there like as a father going, yeah, I would do this. If that was my kid, I would stand out there with a garden hose, making it rain just, and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't be asking, I wouldn't want credit. I wouldn't want him to know that it was me. Nope. You know, I'm just, it's hey, listen, it's gonna help my kid go to sleep and I'll stand here for as long as it takes. To make mm-hmm. that happen. Yeah, it's it great. Um, speaking of deep moments, Jeff, this episode posed a great question that I have to ask you. Okay. How many wild badgers do you have in your trousers? I don't know. Do you prefer ferrets? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you want to cut that out if you leave that in, but oh my God. Good. I'll just cut, I'll cut the part where I show you. He has, the, the, he has 15 wild badgers in his trousers. That image in my brain. <laughs> well, I saw that guy literally leap off of a wall. I believe it. I believe that he lives like, that. right. He wasn't trying to punch that other dude. He was just, you know, get out of my right? pants. Right. That other dude just happened to be in the way. Yeah. Sorry, man. Sorry. I got these badgers, right. stinking badgers, but Sheridan's plan, right? Yeah. So that shadow ship in three days is heading to earth to get studied and taken apart. And by no means can this happen. What did you think of Sheridan's plan? I mean, he, he's, I, I feel like he thought this was a one-way trip. Uh, I thought Sheridan was resigning. Oh, really? The, when he took the, the badge off and he's standing out there in the Jakar's prayer dome or whatever that is, mm-hmm. a set that we haven't seen. in I don't know how long, uh, and Delenn comes to him and he's like, you know, what we got to do. And then, and then in the next shot, He's in his meeting with his code R seven folks and he's not in uniform. And I was like, Sheridan's out. Like, this is it. Like I thought they were, the, and he's like, no, I've got to leave behind my uniform, my, my credentials. I've got to leave behind everything that will lead people back here to Babylon five. Uh, and I was like, okay, I understand that he's planning on coming back, but I, I thought that's where he was going. But I, I mean, I'll get into this a little bit more with the, the star Trek message, but that to me was the greatest part of the whole episode. Yeah. Because with as disenfranchised and disgusted by what's happening in EarthGov to these guys right now, right? This shows the absolute greatest loyalty to EarthGov because they're about to do something that is not okay. And this violates everything that we're about. And so I'm going to stop us from doing something we shouldn't do. And if that means taking off the uniform in order to do it and shooting my own people, then I'm going to do that because you're violating who you are. You're violating your, your principles and, and it's yeah. dangerous for this to go to the other way and not just dangerous, but I mean, like really, it'd be really, really bad, you know, like the worst. Yeah. He even said it the, like when the news stuff was talking about things, he's like, we literally just saved their bacon and they're blaming us for everything. Yeah. And knowing that when you do that, you'll take the blame, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, I felt there were two really strong callbacks in this moment or in this plan and the execution of it. The first one was when he took off his Earth Force pin. I feel like was a callback to there all the honor lies where he was with the monks seeing true beauty from Kosh and he took off his stat bar, you know, and I talked then about how there's going to be a moment where he has to give up, give it all up in order to move forward. And this was an example. He did. He gave it all up. He had a whole plan to fake his own death to keep everybody safe and 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 blameless in the whole piece. And the other one was to comes the Inquisitor, where both he and Delenn went away, 
with alibis to take care of them, knowing full well that more likely than not, they weren't coming back. They'd never be celebrated. No one would ever know their sacrifice, but they knew it had to be done. And so I just, I love that they took these two moments and in this one scene, they're just like, yeah, these, these two truly are the one. And they've demonstrated it now in an unquestionable way. And, you know, when you talk about Sheridan is the one and why is he the one Sheridan's taken out two shadow ships. There is something about Sheridan that is allowing this to happen. So, well, and I wonder too, cause we've talked about like what makes him the one and what are these talents or whatever, what, what is it that Kosh was working with him to get him to know and understand he's performed two miracles in regards to jump, jump gates, right? The one where he opened the jump gate in the jump gate to blow up the shadows and then the first ever atmospheric jump thing i wonder if and this is a dune reference where navigators are humans who get oversaturated in spice and melange and they they do this thing but they they're able to be all places at once Mm. as a result and they do it by folding space and this and the other i wonder if sheridan has like that navigator ability in him where he can kind of manipulate hyperspace maybe that's going to be a thing like maybe sheridan will like at one point he'll be able to open jump gates to hyperspace himself he's got some mastery over it or something because it does it seems it's either that or something along those lines or it's a deus ex machina where he's just like oh hey i got lucky super lucky twice we're good i mean three times really there's the whole not blowing up in the jump gate with the shadow before there's the escaping the gravity well of jupiter and then there's the opening I got, I got to, I got to tell you what I really hope it it's not. I hope that while it seems like it's a deus ex machina now, I would love this while it seems like it is now when we get more information later on, we realize it's not deus deus ex machina. It's just how it is. Like people could have always done this. There's just some like old rule or myth or something. We're just like, Oh my gosh, this has been fine. Just adjust things like this and you're good. Right. Like this, this is, uh, you know, this, even if it's an ability that's unique to Sheridan, if there's something unique about Sheridan that, that they can do this, they're going to reveal that this is actually something he's always been able to do, or, you know, not just that, Hey, we made it work this one time and woof, that's a good thing. Cause we, we about had our bacon cooked there, you know, yeah. like, no, the reason he can do this is because there's something special about him that I, I love when stuff like that happens. So, yeah. So there's two big things still, I think, for us to talk about. One of them is the Nightwatch stuff. Yeah. I, honestly, you covered a lot of it in your in your recap, but I had a really big thought on this, and it happened. So smarmy security guy, you know, who, who shows up out of nowhere, who, you know, you, you might know as being a Klingon captain in the next generation. He was a couple of different Cardassians. He was a Vidian. He was a Herogen, an ex-Borg, and he was Admiral Maximilian Forrest. <laughs> just to name like 48 of the 6,000 people that he played in Star Trek. No, he, no, Jeff, I, I said it in the recap. He was 12. He played 12 different people in Star Trek. So I said a dozen, you know, we've seen him once, twice, or a, literally a dozen times. He played 12 so different many people. people. He, I, I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive that Von Armstrong, that's the name of the actor. Uh, Cause I don't think we've yeah. said it yet. Von, Von Armstrong holds the record for playing the most number of characters in star trek i totally see yeah, that I, i'm yeah. pretty sure von von armstrong is that guy so yeah he's been he was in all the berman era berman era stuff he was in all of it um and every, but but he comes in to to zach and then they, they have their night watch meeting and you know like you said in the recap zach's not buying it he's having a really hard time accepting a lot of this stuff but other people are jumping on yeah. where's the captain what's going on and it just hit me that like Sheridan is not doing a good job managing his conspiracy mm-hmm. in that, like, I'm just going to go off the station for a couple of days and leave stuff. It's going to be fine. Whatever, whatever, because in the absence of information, people are going to tell their own stories. They're going to fill in their own yep. blanks. And that's what security guards Babylon five employees are doing. They don't know where the captain is. Nobody from command is saying anything. So they're telling their own stories. And unfortunately they're, I don't think they're far off, you know? Yeah. They're, they're they're pretty close. You've got to learn how to be a liar in that situation, right? Like you've got to, you you can't sit there and say, Hey, we've got to code R seven and have people. Hey, what's R seven? What is it? Hey, why is Garibaldi in meetings, closed door meetings for hours? Well, all of these closed door meetings are happening. All like you've got to give reasons for that stuff happening. When Jakar sees that these things are happening, imagine someone who has access to your schedule. 
sees these things yeah. happening. You've got who, to have a story. Who's the, who's the dude in CNC who just got promoted? Cor Corwin. He's literally, it's literally there in his face. Oh, hey, we need to go to the briefing room for two hours. Corwin, you're in charge. It's like, what in the world? Uh, uh, okay. okay. Am I getting a raise for all this stuff when I'm now in charge? Because you got me in charge of this a lot. Like, I don't mind doing it, but yeah, I, I need I need some more compensation if this is what you're going to be putting me, asking me to do, you know, all the time. Yeah, you're right. Sheridan's not managing his conspiracy role. I got to tell you, though, I was I was watching this episode and I was really left wanting and very disappointed with the whole night watch ministry of peace thing. Yeah. Because like my first note was, wow, they're getting really out of hand and they're really ramping up. And then I was like, actually, they're not. They're stuck in the same. Like, how many times have you heard now? We're going to get the leaders. We're coming after them. And I'm like, I'm at this point now where I'm like, okay, ministry of peace. You got your hand on your sensor button over there, Jeff. I do. It's time to or get off the pot. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, well, I think in this one, they even put it, they said in two months, these things are going to have, they're drawing up the arrest list. What do you, you, you told us like the joint chiefs of staff, those are specific people. And you're telling like, well, what, I mean, you had the thing what? with Wells back at the end of season two, and then you had the thing with Chicky. I mean, are, can you just not keep the same cast member? So every time you get a new cast member, you've got to restart the whole Re thing again. Like, I, I mean, just get to it guys, get to it. Yeah, I mean, this is this this is a lot of marking time, but I think it just it amped up Zach's. Uh, That's the important part. Cognitive, yeah, his cognitive dissonance with this. He's going to have to make a choice, and I feel like he's in this weird place where, in his mind, like there's still a reality where like he and Garibaldi can be cool, mm -hmm. and he's just going to work every day again and getting fifty extra credits for wearing an armband. Like that's the reality he's hoping. You know what I really want to have happen is I want. Garibaldi to come to a point where he has to pull Zach in to the conspiracy. Zach's about ready to take the armband off. You know, maybe, maybe he's like in a moment. Cause imagine being Zach, you're in a moment of crisis. My boss doesn't trust me. We had that conversation last week. If you really trusted me, you tell me what's going on, but you don't. So you don't trust me. My boss, my friend doesn't trust me. This group in this organization over here is crap. And this is not a good group to be in kind of like Ivanova. Where do I belong now? Exactly. Right. And I've, there needs to be some sort of a, 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 a comeuppance between him and Garibaldi where he brings Garibaldi in. But what I want to have happen is I want Garibaldi to tell Zach, keep the armband on, become our guy in the night. Yeah. And that's what I, I that's where I want to see Zach go. That would be awesome. That would be great. One thing, another cool thing Garibaldi did that shows he has the capacity to do this is he went and visited Jakar in prison. Hey, there you go. That was very cool of him, I thought. He, he's reading the book of Jaquan, learning some Narn. and, and They write that. right to left, we learned uh -huh. today. Yep. Yeah. Very Arabic. So my prediction here is that the big tome of the book of Jaquan, it's great, right? Well, in a thousand years, we're going to get Babylon 15, you know, or whatever, yeah. and set in the year 3,260. And some Narn is going to be running around talking about the book of Jakar. Yeah. He's absolutely writing the book of Jakar. Yeah. yeah. He is the next prophet of Jalan. Is that their main deity? Well, yeah. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. I think they're setting him up totally. Well, totally I mean, to I, next, I mean, you're uh, absolutely right because he's had a face-to-face -face encounter with Jalan now. Yeah. Right. Um, that, I mean, yeah, that tends to make you a, a religious figure at that point. Right. Yeah. He's been to the mountain. He's been there. He's seen it. By the way, I, I'm going to harp on this again. Eight weeks for going Death Walker on, on an ambassador to the station. Yeah. When we talked about that before, I was like, it's a minimum. It's this, but he's counting down the days as if that's the full sentence. Yeah. And I, he's, he said, I will have paid my debt to society. I'm at peace. And I'm like, like, I mean, at least he's in solitary, but solitary doesn't seem to be really hurting him that much. No, it's working out pretty well. And I wonder too, I wonder if Kosh is walking by every now and again and just, uh, you know, keeping stoking those flames. If Jalan is visiting him every once in a while. Hey, why don't you call chapter five this? Right. Here you go. Oh, oh, he's doing that that divine inspiration writing thing. Uh-huh. Yep. What what is the importance and what does it now mean that Earth is under martial law? Because this is this is the changing point. This is this feels like this is the jumping off point of the next episode, whatever it's called. Well, it's interesting too, because it happens just as the investigation against Clark is coming to a head. What's interesting about that. That's absolutely expected. 
that's oh, it's 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 brilliant. Is what literally it is. what we almost saw a couple of years ago. Very true, but no, it's it's brilliant in how he did it because now if they find that he, you know, they find the truth and they say, yeah, you, you're a murderer and we're, we're, you know, we're going to do all these horrible things. He's literally commanding the military right now. And so there would have to be a military coup to oust, to execute the legal order to, to oust him unless he just dissolves the courts altogether. Right. Oh, I'm sure that's hey, you're doing an investigation is, yeah. or he's, he's meeting in the closed door meeting with the Senate tomorrow, right? Hey, tomorrow he's going to meet. Is he going to pull a Palpatine and just dissolve the Senate altogether? Hey, you can do whatever hearing you want. You're not officially recognized anymore. I am Supreme Chancellor and Emperor of this galactic empire. I think that's where it goes. But my question is, how far does it extend? Is it just on Earth? Is it also on Mars? Like how far? Well, be the, it, it has to be to all Earth, uh, Earth Alliance things. Like anything that's under Earth Alliance control has to go under military martial law at this point i would think i could be wrong it might just Maybe. be earth it might be earth is under martial law i guess we'll find out next week jeff yeah yeah but for that and this week and this week's discussion jeff we've hit that spot where it is time to boil it all down and see just how star trek this episode is so we say uh does it have that deep moral message are we holding up mirrors to society is it giving us hope for a better future to do that, I'm going to rank this one on a scale of zero to five deltas. Jeff, you're going to do zero to five star Furious as far as how Babylon five this episode is. How much did we enjoy it? How much did it do it its own way? Jeff, I'll go first. I kind of gave you my spiel a few minutes ago, right? Uh, about why I think this is a, uh, where the, where the, the star Trek piece comes into this. I really, I, I feel like this easily could have been a star Trek episode, Jeff. Um, yeah. this would have been Picard and Worf have to go off to stop a, a bad rule, right? A bad admiral, right? If, I don't know if everybody out there knows that term, a bad rule from taking control of a Romulan warbird feels like an episode we could have seen Cisco and Kira have to go blow up a Jim Hadar ship, uh, before somebody uh, obtains it. A another Starfleet person obtains it. Mm -hmm. It just, it, it feels like we could have seen this, uh, uh, in, in the whole Star Trek thing. But I think that there's another piece to this that we see that really pulls into those, those uh, Starfleet mentalities. Because one of the, one of the, the messages I think of Star Trek is, will you stand by your principles, even when it's tough, even when it looks bad on you. Right. And I go all the way back to the original series. I mean, this, this is not just new stuff. This is all the way back. Uh, Corbinite maneuver. And I hear captain Kirk, not Kirkish, but Kirk, uh, saying it's in the Corbinite maneuver, right? It's time to see if our high sounding morals actually mean anything, right? When they had to go, go see the, the little kid, here's captain Sheridan and the Agamemnon is about to fire on him. Now here's a question. Would Sheridan have fired on any other ship? Had it not been the Agamemnon? I don't either. I think that I th the Agamemnon made it a real quick choice for him. Yeah. But I don't think he would have fired on any earth force ship. Yeah, he wasn't ready. No, uh -uh. He figured out a way to do what he needed to do, protect his group and not kill his own people for it. Even though they were about to kill him, all of that taken together for me, Jeff, it's not a very star Trek uh, show because I don't think that that was in any way, shape or form an intended message. I think that's analyzing it and seeing what they're saying. I mm -hmm. think this was really a, what I, what I mentioned earlier is this is an act five show where it's a lot of action. It was a lot of action and it was a little content, a lot of pew, pew, pew. And it was a lot of fun. This would be one of those star Trek episodes, Jeff, that we would say is not a very star Trekky episode. Uh, so for that, I'm giving this one two deltas because there is still something there. The only other piece I would add to that is I really enjoyed kind of Jakar's philosophical ponderings. Uh -huh. And he talked in there about, he says the problem, it says something along the lines of like the problem with the world today is that everything out there is meant only to distract us from what's truly important. And that's ourselves. And now, you know, and in here, there are no distractions. And I think that the, the Star Trekky theme I would have pulled out of, that I pulled out of that is really just what is truly important. And are you, are you paying attention to it? Are you feeding it? Are you willing to do 
what you need to do for it. You know, I mean, in Jakar's case, he's willing to sit in solitary with a smile on his face the whole time for it. In Sheridan's case, he was willing to go and potentially sacrifice himself and Delenn and Lanier because he was there as well, right? For the whole thing. So I think it just, I'm not advocating for more deltas. I'm just kind of adding to like, yeah, this was kind of the message. There's a couple cool little drops of it in this one, but yeah, I think two deltas is good. How about you on the Star Furies, Jeff? Star Furies should be easier, right? Like this, this should be like, oh man, this was great. This was awesome. And it was, I liked it, but it was really more prelude. I feel like to more that's coming really well done. It was, it was good to watch. I mean, it had fun action in it. It tied a lot of stuff together. I think it showed us the earth might even be more evil than the shadows (laughs) or at least a couple of people on earth. But I almost ask myself, like one, how does this episode stand on its own? Not just not with what's coming yet. You know, and that's the lens you and I have to watch these from. We don't know what's coming right. next. I love how it brought stuff forward, you know, and, and, and utilized it in this one. And the question we ask ourselves oftentimes, either when we're ranking or looking at the star theories is, you know, what would we watch? Would we watch this one again? Or, you know, you talked about, I think last week with, you know, being a laundry episode and I can't answer that question right now i can answer the question of if i would watch this one again after i watch the next couple of episodes to see where it goes from here so god i want to come out and be like god this is babylon 5 all the way and this is amazing and such a great episode and it was good but i don't think it stands on its own enough to get five and so i'm going to give this one four i'm going to give this four star theories and i say that fully acknowledging that probably about 400 people just fired up their keyboards to rip me a new one but it's, it's almost an asterisk. Like the next couple episodes might come out and I'm like, holy crud, yeah. this might be a geometry of shadows one that I play, that I place up a little higher to start, but we look back and we're like, holy crud, it was brilliant. I, I I'm with you on that. It, th- this is going to be an episode. I can see the comments right now. I've been waiting for you to get to this episode. There's gonna be a lot of people. And so it begins. And I was like, no, it began back then. Like, <laughs> so this is the next logical step. I mean, you and I both came close to predicting what this one is going to be about because this was the next logical step. It's where they're setting us up and they need to take us there. Like I'm, I'm in, yeah. I'm all in on this story and I want to go there. Let's get to it. Go to the next, go yeah. to the next and step. And, go to, and yeah. I, I have to say at this point in season three, I'm ready to get there. I don't need any more meandering about like, let's go. Let's, let's get to the story. Let's make it happen. Do what you got to do. Well, Jeff, with that, it's time to take this episode messages from earth and place it in our 100% absolutely completely accurate definitive ranking of season three. Jeff, our current top five from one to five is passing through guest enemy matters of honor voices of authority, dust to dust and a day in the strife. Where do you place this episode? Is it even in the top five? And if so, where matters Nope, not matters of honor. Uh, messages from Earth. Season three has been really good. Like our our lowest ranked episode is Exogenesis, and we enjoyed that episode. Right. You know, like it was a good episode. But I think that this one, frankly, is on a different level than what we have watched so far. It had a bigger feel. It moved stuff forward. It set a lot of things up. Um, I'll just get right to it. This is our new number one episode. But I have a prediction, and that prediction is I think this will be the only week that this episode sits at number one, this, or maybe, maybe two, I don't think this is going to be in the number one position very long, but for right now, this, this is our top episode. Can't disagree. Mostly because that's the rule, but also I don't, I don't disagree at all. I'm with you. This, this is the best episode we've seen so far. It's, it's the most fun for sure. I told you guys, I like this episode. It's the most fun. So yeah, this is a great one, but that's it. This is it for messages of earth. We've done it. Now we play a game at the end of each episode where we guess what the next one is going to be about based on the title alone. But to be fair, like we always say that based on the title alone, based on the title alone and everything that we've watched building up to, up this, to point, this point. That's fair. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> so the next episode is called point of no return, which is also what the third season itself is called. So this is our coming of shadows. This is our signs and portents for this one. It's all we know about this. We don't, we haven't seen thumbnails, read anything about it. We know the title. So Brent, what do you think point of no return is going to be about? You know, Jeff, uh, this one's, this one's easy for me. 
I said last week that this episode this week is going to be the catalyst for breaking away from EarthGov. I predicted this is where the story was going back during the season two wrap up. And I'm sticking with this until it doesn't happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? But a point of no return. Okay. What else could that be? We, they just declared martial law. We just saw him take off the uniform, right? We have that Pete, you referenced, it, I think in last week's episode and in this week's episode, Hey, this uniform used to mean something and it doesn't have that honor anymore. Like it, it feels like this is where the story is going. And I think this is the episode where the breakaway happens. They, they reach that point of no return where they've got to execute their plan or, and die trying. I totally agree. Martial law is going to come to Babylon five. Yeah. Sheridan's going to have to make his stand and his stand is going to be taking off that, that low, that his little badge and being like, you're with me or you're against me. And I think this, this, the end of, I think that the, the episode will end with like, this is the official Babylon five. Isn't leaving earth yet. This is Sheridan and crew uh-huh. leaving earth, but still on Babylon five. And that's going to be the story moving forward. It's going to be really building up how they, pull all of Babylon five with them. Agreed. We're going to see it right here next week. Thank you all so much for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to us or watching us. And if you haven't already hop over to Apple podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. I'll read it right here on the podcast. So until next hey, time, Jeff. Hey, Brent, listen, no, no, no. before we do this, <laughs> it just, I know you guys stuff, but before we do it, I've been thinking a little bit yeah. and, um, I'm not really sure. I don't know how to say this. I'm not really sure how you fit in around here anymore. Like, I don't know how to relate to you. You know, it's weird that you say that because I just made this org chart that shows how everybody fits in. I'm right here in the middle along with you. And then over here is uh, my mom. And then right here above me is my wife. And there's your wife. And like, look, you, you got, you got Aira in there. Yeah. You got Nia. This is there's, a, oh, there's even some people from the community yeah. in there. Yeah, there's retro over that is there. So cool. and, you know, Alyssa's right there. That is yeah. Right. That's cool. They're all yeah. there. They've always been here, Jeff. Whoa. Peace, victory, and long life. This marker's starting. Leadership. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, its ongoing mission to develop leaders through Star Trek, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. A leadership development podcast told through the lens of Star Trek, the Starfleet Leadership Academy, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.